And this week's Parsha, what a wonderful Parsha we have today for all of you. And, I mean, we can probably spend years and years and years and years and years just talking about Avinu Abraham. It's just so much in here. And guess what? We have years and years and years and years to do it, by the way. So we will continue doing that. Uh, so we're going to be discussing today Parsha Lech Lecha. Amen. So we're going to open up with the blessing for Torah here today. And, of course, I'm going to open up by saying, Bahuet Adonai Hamorak. Bahu Adonai Hamorak Leolan Vaye, Bahu Hata Adonai Elohenu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bachar Banu Mikol HaAmin Venatalanu Etu Atut, Bahu Hata Adonai Noten HaTorah, Amen. Today's parasha brings us to Bereshit chapter 12. We're going to be reading out of verses 1 through 5 today. Hashem said to Abram, Go for yourself from your land, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you I will curse. And all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. So Abram went as Hashem had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and Lot, his brother's son, and all their wealth that they had amassed, and the souls they made in Haran, and they left to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed into the land as far as the site of Shechem until the plain of Moreh. The Canaanite was then in the land. And we all say... Amen, amen. So we're going to explore a little bit more about Avinu Abraham today in this uh, parasha, amen. The blessing after the reading of the Torah. Ba'uch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natalanu Torat Emet Betachayeron Natal Betem Mekodhenu Ba'uch Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen. Vezot HaTorah Shel Shem Moshe Livnei Bnei Israel. This is the Torah, which placed Moses before the children of Israel in the mouth of Adonai in the hand of Moses. Amen. You may be seated. His name be praised. Amen. Hashem is good. Can we agree? God of Israel never forsakes his people, folks. You know, and we can conclude the teaching right now. And it will be complete. You know, and honestly, if you were to ask me to do a synopsis, a quick synopsis on the entire word of God, it will be that right there. The God of Israel never forsakes his people. And it will be true. Amen. So we have reached to the Pasha Lech Lecha. And um, wow, what, what an amazing story, you know, and each year as we go through this, we're learning more and more about our Heavenly Father. You know, the Kadosh HaBaruchu is just amazing. He reveals in layers and layers of who he really truly is. And if we really pay attention, we really have a heart for him, uh, I promise you that you'll find him. You'll learn more about him. You know, learning can be limited. 
learning truly could be limited. You can decide today to say, this is as far as I want to go with God. And this will be the end of it. This will be the end of your journey. Let's put it that way. Uh, this is not the case where we read what Avino Abraham. Here we're going to find now, we went from Noah, and I want to start off with the Humash because the Humash kind of gives a layout that I believe it's so amazing. And <clears throat> let's look at what Humash says in here. It says, this Sidra begins a new birth of mankind. The story of Abraham and his descendants now. Now this is, we're going to enter into the family of Abraham. The first 2,000 years from creation were the era of desolation, they say. Adam had fallen. Abel had been murdered. Idolatry had been introduced to the world. Ten dismal uh, this generations have been washed away in the deluge. And the ten generations for Noah had failed. Abraham, and this is, I thought this was very interesting. Abraham was born in the year 1948 from creation. Guess what else was born in 1948? The land of Israel. Wow. Prophetic, you think? <laughs> it's amazing, folks, how God just does things. It's just, just powerful. So it says that he was born in, in the year 1948 from creation. In the year 2000, four years after the dispersion and six years before the death of Noah, actually. So what, what was so different about Abraham in here states that he started to influence disciples to serve Hashem. Now, please, 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 that when you read this, we truly have to read it in the context because we've been going through this so far so that we can see a bigger picture here, okay? You guys remember the Tower of Babel? What happened in Genesis chapter 11? Something foreign was introduced. If you guys remember Pasha Noah, I will suggest go back and see it because we see something very amazing in here. Noah comes out of the ark, and of course, Noah is being faithful to God, right? And something happened between the time of Noah coming out of the ark and the Tower of Babel. And what we see in here is that this is really essentially the birth of what we call today confusion. Literally, confusion of religion, all kinds of different ways in how we can worship God. We introduced the foreign concepts in the Tower of Babel. And now we've seen that right after, I mean, just think, look at, think of this of a highway, family. We have a highway, and we started here, and, and we, we, we travel into this direction. And something in the middle happens that changes the outcome of this, of this travel, of this road that we're going through. And that is that we introduce something, and the Torah introduces something in here that is called idolatry, essentially. And it is created by a great man, and what I mean great, not as a Zadik, but a powerful man named Nimrod, who literally means re to rebel. And what he incited in there was something that today we're all still feeling, a powerful government, government that takes your money, right? Uh, a dictatorship, essentially. But not just that, he established a way of worship that was really, really foreign to that of the God of Noah. And now what happens is through the discourse, by the way, this, uh, re this uh, religion that uh, Nimrod instituted was commonly known as the mystery religion, by the way. And what's so, what's so uh, uh, interesting about the mystery religion is that why it was called mystery religion in those days? It's because it was illegal. Yeah. 
You have to hide to do it. That's why it's called the mystery religion. And you're going to actually find that through the prophets as we read that they are worshiping Baal and Tammuz hidden behind their houses. That's why God says, as if I can't see what you're doing, basically. You know what I mean? Because they do, they're hiding. This is kind of like the same concept what we find in here. Now, the Tower of Babel, what ended up doing was it instituted a way where it no longer has to be hidden because it's no longer illegal. You just think about this in our terms of our country. There were certain things in our country that were illegal when they first started, right? You know, the, fam the famous, you know, festival was illegal. You know what I mean? And now it's become what? Legal. It's acceptable. It's kind of like the same thing in here. You know, truly histor history repeats itself. Uh, so now what happens is, is that you have, and it, this is important to understand Abraham and to really appreciate Abraham, because what we have in here now is basically a universal religion. You know, a universal religion that everybody accepts. Uh, it is by far the popular one. It is the majority of people joins in. Uh, the government approves of it. You know, so it's a government slash religion that, again, if you're not part of that, essentially, then you are kind of you as an outcast. And you're deemed as crazy, essentially. So now, with that in mind, this is the setting to understanding what is it that Abraham is doing? What is it that Abraham is facing? See, you won't appreciate this if you don't know, because when it says that he started to influence disciples to follow Hashem, how do you think that came around? You know, it's not like today where you can just say, hey, follow God, the God, the one true God. You know, back then that was like, you know, it's kind of like if you're in a, in a communist country and you're preaching that. It's, it's death, you see. So it says in here, with the emergence of Abraham, the era of desolation had come to an end. And the era of Torah had begun. With Abraham, there began a profound change in the spiritual nature of mankind. Look at this. The plan of creation was for all human beings to have an equal share in the fulfilling the divine mission and for the Torah to be given to all mankind. This is essentially the, 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 the heart of God was for everybody to follow his Torah. Why wouldn't he? He created men, right? And he endowed men with the biggest blessing that anybody can have, and that is the knowledge of who he is, you see? But after 20 generations, check this out. After 20 generations of failure, the privilege of being God's chosen people was earned by Abraham and his offspring. Look, they will receive the Torah and they will be in the vanguard of perfecting the world and bringing all the people to accept the sovereignty. But listen to this, the sovereignty of the one God. Family, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to level this in a really, really, really very simplistic way so you can understand this. This plan that Humash gives us in here, it's not an interpretation, but rather it's a historical account. Please understand that. It's a historical account, I will tell you, history repeats itself. And where are we in today in history, folks? I believe that we're living in prophetic times right now. And why we live in prophetic times? Because I don't know if you're noticing there is an awakening that is taking place everywhere in the world. And this awakening is also bringing, unfortunately, it's bringing division. It's bringing pain. 
It's bringing somewhat of confusion. But it's separating and it's also purging the gold. Please understand that. And this is kind of like what we're saying in here. What is it that we're fighting today? Listen, if I had to really, again, let's go back to summarizing and do a quick synopsis today. What is it that we're fighting today? We're fighting truly monotheism. Monotheism is what we're fighting for right now. But I would suggest to you that it's not just one now. This is something that we've, it's been going on for years. Thousands of years we've been fighting for monotheism. What was Abraham fighting for here? Monotheism. Why? Well, what happened at the Tower of Babel? See? It no longer was, no longer was uh, monotheism. So uh, the major themes in this parasha are as follow. We have the call of Abraham to leave, right? His family, his country, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. The promised land, a promised land that was given, or rather there was promised at this point, right? And the promise of descendants also. See? But also we find something very interesting in this parasha. Again, we're not going to talk about all this today. But, you know, again, just giving you an overview of what this really this parasha covers, and it's the covenant of circumcision. Very, very important. Why Abraham is instructed to circumcise really has a lot to do with the what? The ot in Hebrew. And what is an ot in Hebrew? An ot in Hebrew is a sign. Now, I want you to pay attention to that word that I just said to you. Please. This is by far. Because there's two things that we've seen in here. I don't know if you catch up on it. Two signs have been given, have been given so far in the history here in the Bible. And what are the two signs that have been given so far? Noach is the sign of what? We got the rainbow, the bow. For what? For Noah to see it. Right? Now a second sign is given to another persona here called Abraham. And the sign is called what? Brit Milah. Circumcision. Can Abraham see the circumcision? Absolutely. That's the whole point. Can Noah see the rainbow? Absolutely. Can any of you today see the rainbow? Well, there was a few of them last week. You know, we see them all the time, right? The reason why I'm saying this, family, is because you need to understand that when the Bible says that I'm giving you an ought, it's for the person to see it. Why? Why am I bringing this up and I'm going to move on? Because tomorrow's teaching, we're going to talk about the sign. You see, this is something that is very fundamental, but if we don't catch it here in the, in the Torah, we, we're, it's going to go over our heads when we get to Isaiah chapter 7. You see, the idea here is that an ought in Hebrew, it's for you to see. If you don't see it, it's not a sign. Just keep that in mind, because tomorrow I'm going to actually regurgitate this to you again. You see? But let's continue on here. So the covenant of circumcision, we're here. So now we start with the parasha, Lech Lecha, right? And God said to Abraham, go. Lech, Hebrew, imperative, Lecha, in Hebrew, for yourself. Now, what is the meaning of go for yourself? The Hakadosh Baruch Hu never forces his people to follow him. That's the first thing that we see in here in this parasha. He's saying to Abraham, 
go, but if you go, don't go because I'm actually have you on an arm lock. Don't go because I'm giving you a sad song. Don't don't go because um, you know you being you being uh, essentially uh, driven by emotions to go. It's not an emotional calling, is what I'm saying. This is a very logical calling. What is the difference? Well, emotion. With emotions, you can make decisions that you'll regret. That be true. If you're making a, a decision based on an emotion, nine out of ten, you end up regretting it. Oh man, I should have not said that. But when you make a logical decision, nine out of ten, you won't regret it because you made it. It was logical. You see? So what's happening in here, God is saying to Abraham, I want you to leave, but I want you to leave logically. I want you to get out logically, not emotionally, not because, you know, um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to belittle you in any way, shape, or form if you don't go, but rather the choice is there. Let's, let's look at this. Horshu better she says this, the very word holech in Hebrew, which is from the where we get the word uh, lech lecha, then implies detachment. Holech is detachment and separation. Please understand that when God says to Abraham, lech lecha, I want you to detach, I want you to separate, but I want you to do it logically. Don't do it in haste. Nothing that God tells us to do, he wants us to do it in haste. He wants us to take our time and outweigh everything. So what does it mean when he says lech lecha for the word holech in Hebrew, which means literally you're going to have to detach and you're going to have to separate. Uh, can I speak that in lamest terms for us today? Okay, in lamest terms, you need to cut the umbilical cord from whatever you are attached to. Because this is the calling that he's telling Abraham that you need to do. You see? This detachment can, can be a means to attain a goal or essentially a new position. That's the idea with lech lecha. You know, oholech in this case, go. It is for the purpose of detaching and for a purpose of what? Me giving you a new position. Hallelujah. So let's look at this. Lech lecha in, in the simple gematria. When we look at Lech Lecha, we get a grand total of number 100. 100 is very, very specific in Scripture. There's tons of numbers in here. But with 100, we're going to keep it in the context of what we're talking in here. Because what are we talking about here today? It's Abraham's departure from Haran. So the Gematria in here, we're going to keep it in context. And what do we look at with Lech Lecha? With 100, we get the word Vega'alnu in Hebrew. The word Vega'alnu literally means, and we were redeemed. What is Abraham doing in this case is he's being what? Removed. The aspect of removing connects us to the Geula in Hebrew. What is the Geula? The removal. You see, we need the, the Hashem moving us out of our state that we're in, essentially. And also, 100 gives us an amazing word in here, which is Malchi in Hebrew. Think about this. This is really going to make a whole lot of sense. Machi in Hebrew literally means my king. So where is Abraham coming out of? Haran. And who's ruling Haran? Who's ruling all the region? Nimrod. 
What is Abraham doing? What is, what is God trying to tell Abraham through Lech Lecha? Think about it. I am redeeming you, and I'm going to be your king. In other words, you're no longer bound by Nimrod. You're no longer bound by his laws. You're no longer bound by the culture. You want to see all of this, how this plays out? I'm actually doing a complete removal of you because I have something special for you, he says. I have something that you cannot even imagine. You cannot see it right now, but I need you to trust me. And, you know, when we talk about Malchi, my king, my king also connects us to legislations and statues. In other words, Abraham is not just walking into some wilderness kind of with no GPS and trying to figure out what he's doing and figure out he goes along. No. Malchi means that he's following actually a king. He actually has laws. He has statue. He has direction. There's an order, essentially. So this removal of Haran it's not just so he can become a wild man in the, in the wilderness, a caveman, basically. But rather, he is going to be governed by the king. Hallelujah. Let's continue with Hershel Mashbereshit. So the meaning of our verse then is go for yourself. Go your own way. Go the way that will isolate you from your land, from your birthplace, and from your father's house, from all your previous connections. Who says this, Richard? No. Here we have a great scholar, Hershumash, connecting us and making, and by the way, it's not just Hershumash. The text itself reveals that. Because when it says that he's leaving his father's house, there's a whole lot. We're going to cover that in a minute. What God is asking Abraham to do is what I'm trying to tell you here, folks. It's not easy. Can you please hear me? It's not easy. You know, if it was easy, everybody will be doing this. I mean, honestly, the whole world will be following God if it was that easy. It's not easy. God is going to put you at times in positions that you're going to have to choose him or your family. You may be saying sacrilege. <laughs> it's right here. The fact that he had to leave his father's house to leave everything that he knew. And what does that entail? His religion, everything that he knew, all his connection, essentially his identity. He's leaving it behind. Folks, I hope that so far this message is hitting home run for you guys. And not just hitting home run for some of you, but that it will be inspirational for each and one of you. You're not alone in this journey. We are not alone in this journey. But it is tough. Look, Abraham went through this. So why does Abraham need to separate is the question. What is the history and the political setting of this time? This is important to know. And this is where it, it kind of helps understanding because why is God telling him you need to get out? Why couldn't Abraham just stay where he was at? Why couldn't he just build the kingdom of Hashem where he was at? Same thing we asked when they were in Egypt. Why did God have to ask Israel to leave Egypt? Couldn't they just build Hashem's kingdom in Egypt? After all, pretty much most of them were dead. <laughs> Would have been perfect. We got a city now. We could just build Hashem right here in the city. Well, all our presence is already dead. But yet he still tells Israel to leave. It was, has nothing to do with the enemies, obviously, because all the enemies were dead. 
So why is, what is, what is the point in here? Why? Why does he have to leave? Look, last week's parasha, we learned that Nimrod instituted Babylon, right? <clears throat> this gave birth to different religions due to the mixing of philosophies. Picked this up all in last week's message. I'm just kind of reiterating here so we can understand this. This also gave birth to the mystery religion, as we just touched on. Anyone who was not in the same accord with the philosophy and religion of Nimrod was outcast, persecuted, mocked, and even killed, by the way, in some instances. And how do we see some of, the, some of these examples of it? Well, some of the examples that we see in this is the doctrine of Jezebel for once. Anybody that didn't conform to Jezebel, what happened? You die. I'm not making stories. Go read the stories yourself. See, so this is what Nimrod pretty much instituted in here. You're not for me. I'm killing you. Simple as that. Nothing, no questions asked. So I want to take us to Britannica so we can see this. And Britannica says, when Jezebel married Ahab, and this is in 874 BCE, she persuaded him to introduce the worship of Tidian, God Baal Merkart in Hebrew or, or, or in American language. A nature god, essentially. A woman of fierce energy. She tried to destroy those who oppose her, essentially. Most of the prophets of the Lord were killed at her command, actually. Why? Same thing that we find with, we're going to find in here with Nimrod. What do you think she got it from? See, remember, folks, everything has a beginning. All of it has a beginning. Look, let's go to 1 Kings 18.4. Look what it says. And it was when Jezebel had decimated the prophets of Hashem. There it is. Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them. Fifty men to a cave and sustained them with food and water. See this? This behavior that we see with Jezebel and the prophets of the Lord and how she just destroyed Why she's killing the prophets of the Lord? Because the words of the prophets of the Lord are literally exposing her idolatry. In other words, when somebody tells the truth and someone gets angry, folks, by the way, please study this. Please study this. You're going to notice. When you speak truth to somebody, well, the one, two things happen. Either they're going to be like, or they're just going to want to kill you. And I will submit to you today that if we didn't have laws in our country right now to protect us, and praise Hashem for that, I will promise you that they would kill us. They will stone us, and if we're here in the West, they would just shoot you. Simple as that. But that's the kind of attitude that we see, and it's very consistent with false religion, by the way. You're going to see this. So we see this behavior with Nimrod and his cult. You see? Abram is the first that we read about that challenges, let, listen to this, that challenges the popular system of Nimrod. Abraham, according to the Tanakh and according to history, says that this is the first time that Nimrod was actually challenged. A man that stood up for this tyrant who is essentially bringing all this false religion and all this confusion into the walk of Hashem. Abraham stands, now listen to this, Abraham stands for true monotheism. Because remember that up to this point, what happened in the Tower of Babel is that there was no longer monotheism, but rather polytheism. See, now what we have is we have tiers of gods. 
we have a headship of gods, essentially mixed together. So you have God, you know, the chief God, the principal God, then there's a God that is lower than that God, and then there's another God that is a little bit lower than that God, but they're still gods. But, you know, one is higher than this one. That's what we call tiers of God. It's, it's, it's just a complete system now. Well, who introduced that? Nimrod. And we're going to see through history later in the Bible that this, you know, government of gods, basically, you know, God the high power, God the middle power, God the lower God. We're going to find that all through the religions of ancient Middle East, spreading like wildfire. And now what is Abraham doing? Abraham is fighting monotheism. Abraham is saying, I will stand for the one true God, the God of Israel. The God of Noah, well, at this point, the God of Noah. There would have not been the God of Israel at this point. It would have been the God of Noah as of now. Look, Genesis Rabbah 38, 11 says this. And this is what happened. Look, this is just to show you. And then you're going to find this, uh, this right here. You're going to find it really, really amazing. It says, he, Terah, took him, Abraham, and gave him over to Nimrod. And who is Terah? Is that said to him, let us worship the fire. Okay. Abraham said to him, Nimrod, should we not then worship water, which extinguishes fire? Nimrod said to him, then let us worship the water. Abraham said to him, should we not then worship the clouds, which carry the water? Nimrod responds to him and says, then let us worship the cloud. Abraham said to him, if so, should we not then worship the wind which scatters the clouds? Nimrod said to him, then let us worship the wind. Abraham said to him, should we not then worship the human who withstands the wind? Nimrod said to him, you are merely piling words. We shall bow to none other than the fire. I shall therefore cast you in it. And let your God, to whom you bow, come and save you from it. Listen to this, folks. This is an amazing story. Now, granted, this is, in, this is not in the Bible. I will submit to you. But do we have something similar like this in the Bible is the question. <laughs> We're going to see here in a minute. So what happens is because Abraham is challenging Nimrod, saying, essentially, you're Meshuggah. You're crazy. Okay. You're worshiping all these things, and I'm challenging you with every single one of it, and now you don't have a response. So now you want to throw me in the fire. And guess what? He does. Haran, Abraham's brother, listen to this. Haran, Abraham's brother, was standing there when all this challenge was taking place. He said to himself, what should I do? If Abraham wins, I shall say, I am of Abraham's followers. If Nimrod wins, I shall say, I am of Nimrod's followers. Now, Hear me out. Haran is his brother. This is Abraham's brother, okay? When Abraham went into the furnace and survived, Haran was asked, whose follower are you? And he answered, I am Abraham's follower. So they took him and threw him into the furnace, and his inwards were burned, and he died predeceased, Terah, his father. This is the meaning of the verse in Genesis 11:28. when we read it. Just look in your Tanakh. 
It says in Genesis 11:28, and Haram died in the lifetime of his father Terah. How did Haram die in the lifetime of his father? Well, the Midrash gives us a, in here a story as to what happened, and that was that he challenged. But the reality, he wasn't real. He didn't care. He was just saying, whoever wins, that's who I go with. Means he wasn't really, really, truly uh, um, a servant or loyal to Abraham. So Abraham is thrown into the furnace fire because he refused to bow before the fire. And where else do we read this story, folks, in the Tanakh? Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. Here we go. See? I, I, really, I don't think it is coincidence that we have Daniel chapter 3 in the story here of Abraham. What, remember, and this you cannot, under any circumstances, remember that where it's Daniel chapter 3, where is this taking place geographically? Where are they? Babylon. Where is this happening with Abraham? Babylon. <laughs> Same location, you see. And look, in Daniel chapter 316, it says, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, all Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. What's happening in here? It was said that whoever does not bow before the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, you know, at the sound of the trumpet, they will be what? Cast into the fire. And these men were loyal to Hashem. They refused to bow the knee to our statue, right? It said in 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire. Very similar story with that of Abraham. I don't know if you've seen it. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. 18 says, but even if he does not, and Brother Marcus always presented this, which I really appreciate. Notice the language in here, and Mark has brought this several times. Even if he does not, what is what's happening in here is they're, they're ready to die. They're not saying, I know for a fact God is going to deliver me. They say, we're just not going to bow, period. And if God wills, kol hashamayin, all from heaven, if he wishes so, guess what? We will be delivered. And your power means nothing. The God of Israel, I mean, in this case, the God of Israel is above all. So it says in here, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods. Here it is. Or worship the golden image that you have set up. Hallelujah. If we can only have that kind of kavanah today. You know what I mean? This is the kind of zeal that the people of God need today. We refuse to bow to any other worship, any other gods other than the God of Israel. And that means monotheism, not polytheism. All of this took place again in Babylon, folks. Everything in here starts in here. So let's get to our story now. Now that we get the, the, the context of what's happening, right? Monotheism, it's what we're fighting for. Monotheism is what Abraham is fighting for. The system of tears of gods was developed in back. I cannot continue to stress that, folks. The concept of a governing gods, God higher, God middle, God lower, it's found in Babylon. We don't find any traces of that in the worship of the God of Israel. Please understand that. This is foundational, for especially for your knowledge. Nowhere do we find that there is a government body of gods. What we do see with the God of Israel is that he is the one true God and all the angels and all his creation bows to him. It's the other way around. You see what I mean? 
Yeah, he has a hierarchy of angels that are messengers that do his will. But it's not a tears of gods. They're not God. They're not God number one, God number two, God number three, God number four, God number five. They're messengers. They're completely separated from who he is. Now, the whole aspect of God number one, God number two, God number three, God number four started all in Babylon. That We don't see no witness of this in the faith of the God of Israel. So this is important as we come in into Abraham that we understand that. So Genesis 12, 1, look what it says. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. There's a wealth of information being stated here. Wealth of information. Okay, we, for one thing, we need to understand what is the difference between your country and your land. Completely opposite thing. Uh, well, not completely opposite, but there's slight differences between land and actually country. Well, for one, a country has a government rules. A land is just geographic location. That's it. But country carries laws. Country carries uh, traditions, carries all of this, you know. So it's a society, essentially. So what Abraham is saying, what is it that God is saying to Abraham in here? It says, Vayomer, Vayomer Hashem el Abraham, it says. It says, Lech Lecha. Me atzrecha, I says. Now that's the first thing he tells him. He says that you are to, he speaks to Abraham, go for yourself. Make the choice, by the way, Abraham. Okay, make the choice. You have to make the choice, meaning this choice is logical. Whether you want to pick up and leave, but if you stay here, understand that this is, these are going to be the consequences. You're going to be surrounded by wolves all the time. You see? And the promise, by the way, it's not here. It's another thing. You see? So he's not hearing so much about the wolves that are there. The promise is not there. So if you want the promise, you have to get out of your shell. Now listen to this, folks. If you want the promise of God, you need to get out of your shell. That's important. Because most of us want to do more with God, but we just don't know how to get out of our shell. See, God is saying, if you want more, if you want to experience see more, if you want more of me, you got to get out of your shell. See, the comfort zone. What I mean by getting out of the shell is you got to get out of your comfort zone. Abraham had to make a huge move here. And this was a gamble, guess what, against Abraham in this case. Abraham has, how much you think Abraham had to lose here? Everything. It wasn't like, okay, this is like a 40, you know, 80 you know, for 40, 30, whatever case may be, you know, the odds in here are not. This is completely, Abraham had 100% everything to lose in paper. In the natural, there's nothing in here because he's going to an unknown place. He has no idea where he's going at this point. So this is what I'm saying. He has everything to lose. So he says to him to leave the mazrecha, right? And then he says, umi molad decha. And that is talking about the, the, the relatives. Now, this is a tough one. Then it says, Umibet avicha in Hebrew. That's and We're going to discuss each and one of this. Umibet avicha, the house of your father. This is the most toughest one right here yet. El ha'eres ashel arzecha, he says, to the land that I will show you. Let's look at this. Abraham is asked, number one, to do what? Lech lecha, to make a choice for himself, not by others. Starts with that. 
In other words, I can't tell you to follow God. I can't coerce you to follow God. This is your journey. You need to choose it. Starts with that. So Lech Lecha is an opening for that. Then it says to leave his country. Okay, that is the word that we just read in Matzecha. And to leave his country is the government and society that encapsulates the values and or moral views. I cannot stress the importance of this, folks. God is telling Abraham, by choice, I need you to leave the government and society that encapsulates all your values and all the moral values that you have right now. Your values and your moral views as well. Then he says, from your relatives, which is the word that we got, moledet in Hebrew. And what is moledet? The native land where you are born, essentially. So, from your father's house, also, which is what? Umibet avicha in Hebrew. Now, this is the tough one also, because umibet avicha is the house represents the place of teachings that are religiously based. In, in Jewish culture, in Middle Eastern culture for the most part, it is in the house that you learn. As a matter of fact, to be specifically, it is at the table, the shulchan. That's why we have the shulchan aruch. That's where it comes from. Shulchan aruch is the table where we eat. Aruch is food. It's a meal. You see? Because it is, we sit, we eat, and we talk Torah. We talk values, we learn, we share a meal. It's almost like covenant, you know. So the idea in here is he is telling Abraham, leave your father's house. Leave the understanding of religion that your father taught you. It is the place where your father shares the religious belief system. You know, we got examples of this, folks. Like, for instance, like the house, you know, Umibet Avicha, the house of his father. He's asking Abraham, leave your father's house. Look at this. What do we call a Beit Midrash? What is a Beit Midrash? House of study. Notice that there's a, there's a, there's a, a name that is called Beit, house. We have the house of study. How about Beit Hillel? What is Beit Hillel? It's the house of Hillel. What, the Hillel have his own little house? It's talking about the place where you go to study, the yeshiva. We have the house of Shammai, Beit Shammai. You see, these are all examples, so you can understand when he's saying, leave the Ubeib Avicha, he's saying, leave the studies that you have learned in your father's house. Undo them. Why? He's telling Abraham this. Because they're idolatry. Remember, Terah, if you don't know, Terah was an idol worshiper, but not just an idol worshiper. We find out in the book of Joshua, this is not tradition, the book of Joshua tells us that he was a maker of idols, actually. He profited, and, they, and the, the family was very wealthy because of it. So <laughs> think about this family. He's, Abraham is saying, you know what? This just You guys are unequally yoked. <laughs> you ever heard of that word, unequally yoked? Okay, hear me out, family. God is saying to Terah, or to Abraham, we know Abraham, blessed memory. He is telling him, your household is unequally yoke. I need you out. God would never do that. Separate a family. Well, he did with Abraham. <laughs> Not only that he did it with Abraham, I can show you over over in the Tanakh where a family had to separate because of the faith. 
See, this is the whole concept of Lech Lecha family. Go for yourself. This is why he says to Abraham, I cannot make that choice for you, Abraham. And here, you're going to have to make that choice. But do understand that if you continue mixing seeds, if you continue being, being unequally yoked, this is not healthy for you, essentially. Well, in this case, his father was persuading him to worship idols. See what I mean? And what's going to end up happening, the father will always have more influence than a voice that you hear. See? The tangibility of a person being here that you can touch and you can feel and there in your presence will always win. Unless you are extremely spiritual, that will never work, folks. So in here, God is telling Abraham, are you going to be bold enough to separate from your family and everything that you know, essentially? Are you understanding this, family? This is very important. Look, I want to I stress in the aspect of Eretz in Hebrew, the word Eretz, which is the homeland. Look, Hershuma shares more information than the word Eretz. It says it's one's homeland, right? Where nationality with all its bodily, mental, and moral influences its form. You hear that? This is the key. You know, this is why we are having such... The, let me tell you, the exile is the worst punishment that Israel could ever receive. Because, you see, we're no longer in our homeland where we can actually worship God in spirit and truth. We are in foreign land. What happens with foreign land? Well, unfortunately, more influences is what we develop here in this land. So, you know, even in the country that we live in right now, okay, there are moral values for this country right now, and there are religious values for this country right now. So... Again, I'm not speaking against the country. What I'm saying is that this is, where we, this is where the country is right now. Is it in alignment with God is the question. Well, no, it's not in alignment with God. You see what I mean? So this is why he's telling Abraham, okay, you need to detach from that system. In this case, he's telling Abraham detach physically. But, you know, in order to detach physically, something needs to happen. Hear me out. You need to detach mentally and spiritually. It starts with that before you can actually make the move. You follow? So, you know, for us here today, well, well we're not just going to pack up and go to Israel. We can't not die anyways. It doesn't work that way. But can we detach mentally and spiritually? Absolutely. Because when the time comes, you'll be ready to go, you see? So it says in here that this is where Eretz, it's formed. The, the homeland, well, homeland really means our culture and what our culture believes, you see? By the way, our culture today does not approve of family separating. That's sacrilege in our culture today. Family is everything. And, you know, as pleasing and as great as that sounds, folks, it's really anti-biblical. You know, it is true. Family is important. I'm not saying that. But if the family values are contrary to God's values, folks, there is going to be a separation. And you have to be able to make that separation, just like Abraham did in here. So in our, in our values, in our society today, what I'm trying to share with you is that that choice is not deemed as one that is very profitable. Leaving and separating from family, it's going to make you look like a monster. See how that works? This is what Babel does. If you're not with the system, you, you are basically outcasts. You are viewed as a heretic, essentially. That's what they're going to call you today. You're a heretic. You separating families? I mean, what kind of God do you serve, for crying out loud, right? This is really what they're going to throw at you, left and right. You don't think that Abraham was 
basically spoken those words as well. What kind of God do you serve? The gods that we serve unify families. You know, that, that's, I mean, that sings to the person's heart. Your God separates families. You know, I don't want nothing to do with that God. This is it, folks. I'm just giving an example because all this is, you're going you're gonna to experience this, all this in your life at one point or another. So Eretz is our country to which the whole being is Mary. Eretz in Hebrew. This is a wordplay. Eretz at the end with a samek instead of the, ze, the, the, the zayin. So it's Eretz. And then Eretz is the cradle of Eras in Hebrew of our childhood. The kneading trough, Oretz, in which we are molded. A tremendous power whose influence no one can escape. And I tell you right now, folks, it is absolutely true. Um, we're, that's what we're fighting today. We're fighting philosophies that are in place in our, in our country. And, you know, not just our country. It's not really our country. It's a world problem. It's not a U.S. problem. This is a world. You know, the world, the whole countries are unifying, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that. Countries are coming together and unifying in the same train of thought. See, Tower of Babel is right before our faces. We don't even know it. Let's continue in here with Moledet. It's one's birthplace. It grants a person civic status and independence, by the way. This is something that everybody likes. Bait, the house, is the home, the private sphere in which the individual thrives, receives special care, and also is developed. The house is where we receive the teachings of our parents. You see? And where do our parents get it from? Our parents get it from society. See? You go to school, public school. Even our schools today are training our children how to think. You know, I don't have to sell this to you. You know it. You know, so this is, this is really how it works. Continuing on here. As we've seen, the tendency of that generation, which under the slogan of Ne'asalanu Sham in Hebrew, which is in there, we will build there, begin a build a tower to the glorification of man, essentially. Was not individualism, okay, not the recognition of the worth or significance of the individual, essentially, but centralization, essentially, is what took place. You see? It's the centralization at this point. Right now, we're experiencing that centralization. It's the tower. It's where all the force is which deprive the individual of his personal worth. What are you today? You are a number. You're like cattle. This is what centralization does, you see? This is what I'm trying to have you see, folks, that there's nothing new under the sun. Parsha, I love the Torah because it really reveals things that are very, very significant for us today. So centralization, which is deprive the individual of his personal worth and reduce him to a mere instrument, that's it. A mere brick in the structure of what's supposed to be a representation of the community. What is it that Nimrod did? He sold you the American dream. Let us build, guys. But now you become essentially a brick in a number. It's not about, you see, we said let us as if he is part of it. It's not part of it. You're just a number working for him now. That's what we have today, you see. And if you come against us, we kill you, by the way. So this tendency towards centralization gives rise to the false belief in, in the exclusive authority of, listen to this, the authority of the majority. You ever felt that? You feel the pressure? 
Don't you feel the pressure right now? What the, what the majority is saying this. You feel there's something. There's a power there. This is what you're feeling. This gives that authority for the majority. That means that what the majority is doing is law, even if it's wrong. It's still law, and we go with it. Hmm. As a result, any value held sacred by the majority, listen to this, very important, any value held sacred by the majority is automatically revered and held sacred by every individual. Are these two big words for all of us right now? I know Hirsch speaks very big words. But the reality is, when you really sit there and chew on it, it's really, really amazing. This is exactly what's happening today. Listen, today we don't know when a he is a he or she is a she anymore. Why? Because the majority believes this. So individually, you're supposed to believe this. This is the way it works. This is the Tower of Babel, folks. See, when we come to a point that we cannot even know who's a he and who's a she anymore, and I could be sued by calling you a he or sir, that's a problem. See, we're, 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 we're coming to a point of the, the moralization of our society is just declining more and more and more. See, what would this comes from, Tower of Babel? Who endorses it, by the way? Who endorses all this nonsense? Who endorses it? Well, it's not so much our society and our government, folks. Please understand that we would government doesn't exist unless you have religious institutions. Religious institutions are really the foundation for government understanding and for government moral values. It's always been that way. Even though today we have a separation of state and religion, it's, it's still, religion still influences government is what I'm saying. It's always been that way because this is the way the Tower of Babel was set up. And by the way, biblically speaking, that's the way it's supposed to be. Religion and state are actually supposed to be together, not separate in technicality. So our influences today are still coming from our religious leaders. So if you look at the, if you look at the, um, the spiritual arena right now, in the political arena right now, worldwide, what is that saying? What is it witnessing right now? It is witnessing the decline of the moral values of spiritual organizations right now. What I mean by that, spiritual leaders. See, if the spiritual leaders are down, which they're the head, what happens if the head is sick? The whole body is sick. If the religious leaders are sick, then our leaders outside of religion are going to be sick. And by extension, the people become sick. This is really all how this all goes downhill. So it says, continue here. Nevertheless, at the outset of Jewish history, Scripture says, go for yourself. Right here. At the outset, when everything is crazy, when there is complete chaos spiritually, when the government of Nimrod has influenced everyone and everything, God says to Abraham, go for yourself, go your own way. That is an even more exalted value. No one may say I am as good as and honest as everyone else, <laughs> as is the fashion here nowadays. Every individual is directly responsible to God for his personal conduct, essentially. If it becomes necessary, if the principle 
adopted by the majority is untrue, then go it alone and serve God. I love it. In other words, <laughs> God has given us the authority. You don't have to follow the majority anymore. If the majority sees, the majority is saying this is good, but it's untrue, this is when you have to make the choice. This is what Hirsch is saying to say, lech lecha. Go for yourself, essentially. See, I know this is a little bit deeper in layers right now after a meal, but this is being recorded. You can always go back and visit it. But the reality is, folks, this is some deep, deep, deep meat in here, and it's very, very important. Look, Hirsch continues to say, how could we have, right, how could we have survived? How could we continue to survive have we not inherited from the Abraham Avivu, Avivu? The courage to be a minority. There it is. You realize that the Jewish people exist today. You know why? Because they had the courage to be different. A minority, within the minority, by the way. Not all as a whole. Today, all pretty much all Jews can trace the lineage back to Abraham. They really could. And this was so amazing. See, it's a special, a special lineage that God has preserved for a reason. So that the Gentiles can come to know that there is a God in Israel. You see? Do you have the courage to be a minority is the slogan for Abraham here today. That's what it's all about. Are you going to be a minority? Not a majority. The Tower of Babel is a majority. You see? And I want to switch this to the, to the percentage in religion today, folks. Are you going to be a part of a religious system that has the majority votes? Or are you going to be a part of a religious system that is a minority in votes? You see? That's the key. That's the key. When everyone else in the world was seeking to integrate, this is what's happening today. Everybody's seeking to integrate. Everybody wants to be the in you know, and now with social media, oh, my God, this is so much easier to do. And there's just so much influence right now in social media. Hmm. When everyone else in the world was seeking to integrate, to establish himself, and win the rights of a citizen, Abraham gave up his homeland and his rights of citizenship. Hallelujah. See this. When everybody was running to the popular group, Abraham ran away from the popular group. This is really what Hirsch is going through the mind in here. He did it of his own free will. He became an outsider and openly denied the God's worship by all the nations. Wow. Are you willing to yell from the top of your roof of your houses that you only worship the God of Israel and you will not follow the popular religions of the world. See? I will follow only monotheism. I will not follow pluralism or polyism. This is the key right here, folks. See, in, in reality, we, a lot of times we don't see this. Bless you. This is the key. Look, Jeremiah 16, 19, that's why it says this. Oh, Lord, my strength and my stronghold and my refuge in the day of distress to you, the nations will come from the ends of the earth. And they will say what? 
our fathers. What happened with Abraham? Think, listen, this is a connection to Abraham. What did Abraham do? Abraham left his father's house. Why? Because his father's house was teaching him what? Nonsense. Teaching him many different gods. Teaching him things that were contrary to the God of Noah. To the God of Israel for us today. And what are these people, by the way? Abraham is in the past. Jeremiah 16, 19 is in the future. Do you see the correlation here? In the future, we're going to have groups of people. Listen, you know what's happening in there, really? Now, let's look at this in context. What's happening in Jeremiah 16, 19, folks, is that the nations are doing a lech lecha. The nations are moving out. The nations are saying, you know what? We are going to go for ourselves out of our father's house, out of our country, out of everything that we know. They're going to say, our fathers have inherited nothing but falsehood. Futility and things that do not profit. What did Abraham say? The same, to, the same thing, folks. This is amazing, 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 amazing. And what happens in here? In Jeremiah 16, 19, I didn't go to verse 20. Can a man make gods for himself? See? What was the, what was the sin of the Tower of Babel? We created different gods. A tier of gods, a more powerful one, a less powerful one, and a less powerful one, a medium one, and, you know, all these tiers of gods. You see? All man-made, folks. All of it man-made. And in, in the future, now think about this, folks, because most people today say, well, we don't have that anymore. There's no such thing as a bunch of gods today. I mean, if you go to India, maybe, you know what I mean, China. Japan, maybe, you know what I mean? You get those in there. But outside of those countries, you know, like here, we don't really have that problem. Why is it that in, this, in Jeremiah 16, 19, it says that the nations, who is the nations in here, folks? What does it say in Hebrew? The goyim. What is the word goyim in there? The word nations, goyim, Gentiles. The Gentiles are going to come from the ends of the earth and say, we have inherited lies. Can I ask you all a favor here today? What does it read that the Jews are going to come from the ends of the earth and say, we have inherited lies to the Gentiles? What does it say that a Jew is going to come to a Gentile saying, you know what? Man, our people really, they had it wrong. <laughs> we, can you show us who God is? What does it say that the Gentiles are going to go to a Jew? And say, our fathers have inherited lies. If you can show me that in the Bible, please, 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 I challenge you. Even for those online, I will challenge you right now. Show me where a Jew comes to a Gentile and says, we have inherited lies. You're not going to find it. You might have to actually do your own print and add it, but it's not there. You see? This is important, folks. This is very, very important for us to understand. Upon leaving the system of Babylon behind, this is what Abraham does. And this is what God is calling each and one of us in this room today. Are you willing to leave the system of Babylon behind? And what is the system of Babylon? The system of religion that is contrary to the God of Israel altogether. Are you willing to leave it behind? By doing that, Abra what is Abraham promise here? In this case, Abraham, because it's not Abraham yet. What is Abram promised? 
Genesis 12, 2 and 3, look what it says. I will make you a great nation. Hear me out, family, all those watching online. God says if you leave the system of Babylon behind, if you have the courage for yourself to leave Babylon behind and to walk in my ways, to walk in my statues, to treat me as monotheism, one God and one God only, I don't have a shared throne with anyone, okay? He says, I will make you a great nation. That promise is not just inclusively for Abraham, but this promise is for Abraham and all the seed of Abraham. It says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, he says. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. This is what is awaiting you if you decide to take the courage today to walk away from the system of Babylon. And you know how, how I know it's true? Because God is true. The God that I serve is true, and I know you serve him too. We serve a God that is true. We serve a God that his word never returns back void, ever returns back void. And this is the courage that he wants from each one of us. Look, in verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you. Here's the words of encouragement. If you leave Babylon behind today, if you leave the system of religion behind today, and you come to worship the one true God, the only one true God, and the only God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Do you realize that that best blessing only applies if you're following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Not the God that you formulated in your mind. Not the God that you came out of your system of religion. He says the God of Abraham, that's it. If he says, if you worship me and if you leave Babylon behind, by extension, leaving Babylon behind, means that you cannot worship three gods in one. You cannot worship four gods in one. You cannot worship ten gods in one. It doesn't matter how much numbers you do. There's still more than one God. Don't fall for the nonsense. Three and one, five and one, ten and one. Nonsense. No such thing. If there's a government of gods, it's gods, period. Don't fall for the lies. Oh, they're all really one. Really? So 10 chairs are really one? I mean, seriously, folks, do we ever sit down to think about this? He's saying if you abandon that train of thought and you worship me, who I am, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. That blessing is very, very particular, folks. It's not for everybody. Everybody throws this blessing out. Everybody throws this blessing out. Oh, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And we follow the God of Abraham. Really? Really? He says, and you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. What is the meaning of all this? Let's go to Ma'am Lois real quick. Ma'am Lois gives us an insight. Ma'am Lois says, this last statement is alluded to the verse, I will bless those who bless you, and he who curses you I will curse. Those who bless Abraham would be many. Why only a single individual in this story here, he, notice what it says in the text. It says, and the one who curses you, I will curse. Singular. It says, I will bless those who bless you, many. But there's one singular, Ma'am Lois says, when it talks about the curse. And if you read in the text, it's true. He says, those who bless Abraham will be many, but only one single individual, he will curse him. Who is the he that's cursing Abraham? Look what Ma'am Lois continues to say. This individual was Nimrod. In the story. Keeping it in the context in here. 
when it was written. God told Abraham, do not fear him. I will curse him and will not allow him to gain any advantage on you. Nimrod in here, in the story of Abraham, who is the one who was cursing Abraham. By the way, that's not far stretched since Nimrod was the one who threw him in the, in the fire. Nimrod represents today the anti-Semitic spirits throughout all the Tanakh, by the way. The anti-Semitic spirit that we not only see in the Tanakh, but the anti-Semitic spirits that we are witnessing today right surrounding us here in the mountain, folks. Monotheism versus polytheism. This is what it's, ta- it's all about. Here are some examples that I want to show you. Because this is what you got to understand, folks. Everything has a shortish. Everything has a beginning. Please hear me. We see Abraham thrown in the fire because this man hated him only because he would not, what, bow before his gods, right? And when you go through the Tanakh, we see the exact same spirit. I'm going to submit to you here today that the spirit of Haman is not an original spirit of Haman. The spirit of Haman goes back to Nimrod. See? Haman didn't come up with it. But we see it very vividly with Haman among many others in Israel. Let me give you an example here. Esther 7.10. And in Esther 7.10 it says, So they hang Haman on the gallows which he had prepared for Mordecai. Why? Why did they hang Haman? The gallows which prepared for Mordecai. You want to know why? Because of the blessing of Abraham. Those who curse you, I will curse. See? This is, the, this is it right here. Anyone who, who means harm for you, I'm going to use the harm against them. This is why we see in here, Haman tried to kill Mordecai. And what does Haman represent in here? Haman represents Nimrod. Who does Mordecai represent? Mordecai represents Abraham. You see, folks, you have to really immerse yourself in the beauty of the Torah so you can start seeing all these shadows and all these pictures. How about Daniel chapter 6? Look in Daniel 6, 4, and 7. Look what it says. Then the commissioners and satraps uh, began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel. They couldn't find anything wrong with Daniel. They made up stories. This is, by the way, this is how you know. If you ever wonder which side am I in, just study. Those who come up with false reports, it's your false people right there. You don't have to to stick up. I don't know who has the truth. Gee, I wonder who has the truth. Oh, I don't know. The one who's sitting in here raising up false witnesses, I think God is telling you that that's the one. Open your eyes to see it, family. Stop, stop, stop with the revelation. Stop with, I have to pray on this. This kind of language needs to stop already. God is not fickle. Read your Bibles. God is logical. Read. Here it is. Example after examples in the Tanakh. God is going to show you who has the truth and who doesn't. You don't have to eat pizza late at night. You don't have to get stoned and get high in order to get a revelation from God. You don't have to go eat mushrooms and go into the wilderness to get this revelation. Stay sober-minded. Read the Tanakh, and the answers are there. Look what it says in here in Daniel chapter 6. 
They tried to bring what? An accusation against him. They couldn't find any. Daniel regarded the government affairs, but they found they could not find ground for accusation or evidence of corruption, they said, as much as he was faithful. And no negligence or corruption was to be found in him, it says. Verse 5 says, Then these men said, We will not find any grounds of accusation against this Daniel. Daniel represents in here Abraham. You see? Make the connections, family. Daniel is Abraham here. We cannot find any accusations against Daniel unless we find it against him with regards to what? The law of his God. Ah, now they're going to use the Torah against him. See how that works? Why is this story so, so, so important for us? Folks, because we're not there yet, but a time is coming where worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be illegal. I believe it will. There's plenty of scripture to support it. And we are way, way in that direction right now. We're not that far off. You see what I mean? Then the commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together. And the king should establish a statue and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Wow. Here we have, you know, this is, the Torah does this quite a bit. Here's another story that connects us to the fire. Abraham thrown into the fire. Daniel later, or, or not Daniel, but his, his comrades thrown into the fire. And now it's not fire. Now it's the lion's den. You see what I mean? Over and over. What are we seeing? Do you see the theme here? The theme is monotheism versus polytheism. Nimrod versus Abraham. Now you're going to see this theme, this motif. We're going to see it all through the Tanakh. All of it. It's going to repeat itself with different scenarios and different stories and different characters. But it's the same thing. You see? All the same thing. Genesis 12, 5 says, Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated. So now we're going to finalize in here, verse 5. It says they took everything. Look what it says. The person in which they acquire in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they came to the land of Canaan, it says. Look what it says in Hebrew. When it says the persons which they acquire, it says, Ve'et ha-nefesh asher asu in Hebrew. Wow. Look at the language and how the Torah describes this. It says that not the ve'et ha-nefesh, the souls. But what souls? It says asher asu in Hebrew. Asa. To make. How do you make a nefesh? Is the question. I thought only God can make nefesh. See? You know, this concept of the rabbis teach that we are partakers of creation with God. Not that we're gods by no means. Not that we're really technically creating anything from nothing. But that we help in the creating process right now. Because what Abraham did is he created. It says he made, literally. He actually made souls. So how do you make a soul is the question. Let's go to Humash. Give us the answer. Humash says, 
the soul refers to those whom they had converted to the faith in Hashem. What happened? Listen, folks, this language is going to be very prominent throughout the Tanakh. What happens when a, a, a person becomes a convert? Well, you may not know this because none of you converted. But when you go through a conversion process at the end, you become a new person. You go through a baptism. And once they, once they lift you up from the, from the uh, mikvah pool, you are now a new person. And in some cases, they even give you a new name. See, what is Abraham doing in here? Making converts. Bringing them to the faith of the God of Abraham, or his God, the God of Noah. For Abraham converted men, and it says that Sarah converted the women. You see? This is beautiful. So we're going to conclude today with Musar trait to cultivate. And what are we looking at in the Musar trait to cultivate? It's two things, and that is emunah. Ta, how can we get away from emunah? Abraham had to have tons of emunah to be able to stand up against the currents that were coming against him. But listen to this too. The word yirah in Hebrew also is another character trait that we learn in Abraham. And what is yirah? To fear. There has to be yirah Hashem. We have to have fear of God. If there's no fear of God, we can never do a lech lecha. If there's no fear of God, we cannot have emunah. See? They simultaneously work together, Yirah and, and Emunah, together working together, folks, with faith in Hashem, in the direction, looking in where he's going. I pray that this message was a blessing for you today to motivate you because, folks, let me tell you, there's a spiritual blanket right now that is roaming around and it just wants to devour people, separate people from Hashem. This is, the, this is what it wants to do. And we have to be wise enough to open our eyes to see the battle right before us. You know, it's like the day in the battle when they saw all the chariots and the people couldn't see the chariots, but there were thousands upon thousands of chariots in the camp of the righteous. Today is the same thing, folks. Open your eyes to see the angels around you who are supporting you, but you have to be in accord with them. You have to make those decisions. God cannot make the decision for you. You, not, you cannot tell God, God, motivate me to make a decision. That, that season is over, folks. No more. No more of that falseness. God shows you through his holy word what decisions you need to make. You have to make the decision. And that is our message for today. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right, family. We're going to now finalize our last teaching for today. And this won't take long. It is our half tour for today. His name be praised. And today's half Torah brings us to Isaiah chapter 40, 27 through 41, 16. If you can get everybody to stand, if you are able to, we'll do the blessing before the reading of the half Torah for today. And the blessing is, blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who has selected good prophets and was pleased with their words, which were spoken truthfully. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, who chooses the Torah, your servant, Moses, your people, Israel, and the prophets of truth and righteousness. Amen. Today we'll be reading out of Isaiah chapter 41, verses 1 to 6. Be silent to hear me, O islands, and let regimes renew strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Together let us approach for judgment. Who inspired the one from the east? At 
whose every footstep righteousness attended, who delivered nations to him and subdued kings before him, who made his enemies like dust before his sword, like straw blown about before his bow. He pursued them and emerged unhurt on a path where his feet had never gone. Who brought about and accomplished this? He who proclaimed the generations from the beginning. I, Hashem, am the first, and I am he who will be with the last generations. The island saw and feared. The ends of the earth shuddered. They approached and came. Each man would help his fellow worship idols, and to his brother he would say, Be strong. And we all say? Amen. Amen. His name be praised. Blessings to the God of Israel forever and ever. The half of our blessing after the reading is blessed are you, Hashem our God, King of the universe, rock of all eternities, faithful in all generations, the trustworthy God who says and does, who speaks and makes it come to pass, all whose words are truth and righteous. Faithful are you, Hashem our God, and faithful are your words, for not one word of yours is turned back unfulfilled. For you are a faithful and compassionate God and King. Blessed are you, O Hashem, the God who is faithful in all his words. Amen. You may be seated. The God of Israel is good forever and ever and ever. We're going to be talking today, starting in the Hathorah, and we just got done talking about um, Avinu Abraham, right? The subject of the matter here is Abraham, and we really want to find out where Abraham is in this text, in the Hathorah. Why is it that uh, our sages of blessed memory have chosen this as a particular passage to read to connect us to Parasha Lech Lecha? What is the connection with Lech Lecha? in this half Torah portion in here. Amen. Well, I want to give us a little bit of a background in here, so out of all fairness, so that you guys can kind of be in the same page in here. For this half Torah here, I'm going to share this from the Malbin. It says, after comforting and assuring Israel that its future will be bright, Isaiah prophesies to the nations of the world now, challenging them for their misdeeds. Okay. He addresses nations, large and small, all the oppressors of Israel, near and far, and he speaks as if the redemption has arrived, and he calls upon them to defend themselves if they can. You know, this uh, chapter here is actually chapter 41, and this is part of what we call the four servant song. And this, this really starts in Isaiah chapter 40 and in Isaiah chapter 54. It is concerning the servant songs of Israel. The subject of the matter there, who is the servant, obviously is Israel, as it is repeatedly over and over, flooding through all these chapters, calling Israel not only the servant, but Israel is also the witness as well. So what we want to really glean from this today is find out what is it that our beloved sages, again, of blessed memory, saw in this passage that we can draw to understand the walk of Abraham. And this really the... The, where the direction I'm going with this today is to really be impartial. We want to stick to the text and the reality. What, what is it that they see in here with Abraham? We go to Isaiah chapter 41, 1 and 2. It says this, Be silent to me, you islands, and kingdoms shall renew their strength. They shall approach, then 
They shall speak together to judgment. Let us draw near. In verse 2, it says, Who arouse from the east the one whom righteousness accompany? He placed nations before him over kings. He gave him dominion. He made his sword like dust, his bow like windblown stubble. So the question that I really want to ask here this afternoon is, who is the one that is aroused from the east is the, is the question is we're proposing in here. And you're going to be surprised to find out that the, the subject in the matter who's been addressed in here, in Isaiah chapter 41, the sages made a comparison of this individual in here. So what I want to do is take it to the Midsonian edition of the prophets, and they, they expound in here saying that this is a reference to Abraham, actually, the one who was called from the east, who came from Aram. So the Aram will be the east of Jerusalem, uh, which is east of Eres Israel, although he was a lone figure in a sea of idolaters. God inspired him to proclaim his fate to everyone without fear. This is really beautiful when you really see it. We, you know, Isaiah 41 really is talking about this. Who aroused from the east the one who righteousness accompanied him? You know, this idea is, again, when you, when you really look at the setting Isaiah chapter 41, we see that there, the nation surrounding Israel in here, because they're in the disperse at this point, uh, are nothing but idolaters, people with different gods, people with different philosophies. And what did we learn in the Torah portion today? That Avino Abraham, a blessed memory, what he was doing, he was making converts. You know, it, it, this is the reason why, you know, again, Nimrod wanted to, or threw him into, into the furnace fire. So in here, in Isaiah chapter 41, what's happening in here, there's a drash or a remes, essentially, of the one who's coming from the east, who is identified as, of course, Avinu Abraham, who, which, by the way, it is the pillar for the Jewish people. You see, he's the one of the founding fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We said we, got, we worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Starts with that. So it says, at his every footstep, he approached that people should forsake their idols and serve only God. This is what's the calling of Abraham for the people in the nation, which, by the way, got him in a lot of trouble with Nimrod. And, and you know, again, these are the things that, you know, kind of like counting the cost and the things that you do. It says, although the Hebrew verbs, it says in here, uh, in the passage are in the future tense, Prophecy is often spoken in a mixture of tenses, and that is absolutely true. When you see prophecy, it goes back and forth from future uh, to past tenses. It says such usage implies that just as God, now what's the purpose of this? And please hear, because when you start studying the prophets, you're going to notice that. Maybe not so much in English, but you will in the Hebrew. Um, it goes from past to future and so on and so forth. Much of this is because it's trying to reveal revelation, by the way, because no one speaks that way. You don't speak first, you know, past tense and, fru and, and, and future tense in one sentence quite often. But it says that the usage implies that just as God helped Abraham in the past, so will he help Abraham's offspring in the future. That's really, really powerful. That what Abraham is going through in here, Isaiah chapter 41 the one who is coming from the east, essentially, is fighting against the popular religions of those generations, essentially. So the concept in here is fighting against the popular religions of every generation. The Tower of Babel, remember, we just talked about what, what was created there, the system of religion that was created in there, the, the confusion part of it. 
This will all be the war for be the war for all ages until the end of time. What is it that we're fighting today, folks? We're still fighting this concept of the Tower of Babel. Can you imagine something that we read that happened a little over 4,000 years ago, and yet we're still feeling this effect of this today? Um, and, and we really can't, sometimes we cannot pinpoint it. Amen. Look, continuing on here, Isaiah 41, 3 and 4 says, He pursued them and passed on safely on a path upon which he had not come with his feet. Who worked and did? Who caused the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am first, and with the last ones I am here as well. That's really, really inspirational words that God is telling in here, the prophet Isaiah, and the yet the time to come. Now remember that this Isaiah 41 is still part of the four servant song. So this is really dealing with Israel where? In the Galut, in the exile. And he's comforting the nation of Israel, letting them know that even though they are in the exile and they rightfully need to be in that exile because of the sins they committed, that the nations that are surrounding them and the punishment that the nations are giving them, God is going to exact vengeance upon them essentially. So God has them in there for a reason, but the nations are capitalizing on this and literally chastising Israel above and beyond measure in this case. And God is saying, I'm seeing and I'm watching. I will exact, uh, I will exact uh, vengeance upon them. When it says, who worked and did, in Hebrew it says, mi fa'al in Hebrew. It says, mi fa'al ve'asa in Hebrew. Literally, the word mi fa'al in Hebrew is it's kind of like a, a, a word play in here. It literally means to act on something. You know what I mean? To like achieve. Similar to asado, but asa literally means you're fashioning, you're making something. So he's acting and he's making in, in, this, in this case. Look, let's go to Milstein edition. It says, who brought about and accomplished this? Who accomplished these miracles for Abraham? See, this is the concept in here that it's talking about. He who proclaimed the generations from the beginning, it's saying, from the time of Adam, God ordained what would happen in all future generations, essentially. Alternatively, this is not a question and answer, but a statement. The one who brought about and accomplished all this for Abraham who was the beginning of our nation's generation, i.e. God, will continue to help his offspring for all generations, even the generations in the deepest exile. You see the connection here? Because this is a four-servant son, what Israel is in the Galut, what the, the, the Hazal did, the, you know, the sages of blessed memory, what they did. It's making this drash and this connection with Abraham as the one who came from the east. Now, Ab Abraham, just so I don't lose you, Abraham is a personification of the nation of Israel. And vice versa. You guys remember that Abraham left Haran, right? And Lech Lecha, this is what we cover today. But he made it to Canaan, right? He made it to Canaan, and then he went back to exile. So this concept, you know, we're going to see it consistently. As a matter of fact, the sages say that the uh, fathers, of the founding fathers of the faith of Israel are portals for the nation later in history. So we're going to find out that what Abraham is dealing with the nation of Israel in the future will have to deal with this. What Isaac has to deal with, the nation of Israel in the future has to deal with. So what really, what's happening? All this mama stuff in here. What's really taking place in here? What well, all this has to do is Abraham, what is, look at the walk of Abraham. He has to leave Haran. He's persecutor in Haran. Uh, Nimrod wants to kill him. He's thrown into a lake, you know, into a furnace fire. He leaves Haran, 
from uh, from Haran, he makes this to Canaan, right? It's a journey that's not easy. From Canaan, now he needs to leave Canaan. He has to go to Egypt. Egypt, his wife gets, uh, you know, now gets kidnapped by the Egyptian, you know, uh, prince, essentially, or Pharaoh himself. Then from Egypt, now he has to deal for a season of being chastised in Egypt. From Egypt, then he goes back out to Hanan. And then you're going to see consistently this, this, this pinball with Abraham traveling back and forth. These are all portals for the nation of Israel in the future. You see this? Are you following? This is why it's so important to understand the founding fathers because, again, they picture, they give us a picture of what the nation will look like in the future. You see? So the idea is that when we are in our deepest exile, just like Abraham was in his deepest exile when he went to Egypt, right? God was with him there. And I really want you to focus on that because, I mean, a, a lot of times we read these stories, but we don't really take the time to really internalize the stories. We have to internalize these stories and make them yours. You know, think, you know, most of us in here, we're married, we have a wife. Think about if you just go to a foreign country and they kidnap your wife. How will you feel? And it's not just anybody who's kidnapping your wife. It's the president of the country that's kidnapping your wife in this case. And we're not talking about a civilized country here. We're talking about the middle of nowhere. You know how scary that is? You see, we have to sit down and think, of what was Abraham thinking? Wow. His wife, who he loves so much, and he just left Haran. I mean, he just left a country that he knew, and he left all the prosperity behind in his father's house, all of it. Now he's, now he's in Egypt, stuck without a wife. You get in this. We don't, we're, a lot of times we just read through this, like, okay, so his wife got kidnapped. No big deal. Moving on. Because we don't really sit there to really, really internalize this, to really appreciate the text. What really Abraham's dealing with? Okay, think of now, and let's transfer that now for the exile today. You know, all the troubles that we're going to have to deal with, all the problems that we're going to have to face. Well, compared to Abraham, they're nothing. Because Abraham had to deal with his wife being kidnapped. He had to deal with a lot of loss. He dealt with a famine when he got to Canaan. There was a famine, it says, in the Torah. And they were the, t the famine was so bad that they had to leave. Think about this, folks. I mean, we don't, again, we don't internalize these stories. It's so important that we do that so we can appreciate, the, the, again, what Abraham is going through. So when we go through a little bit of trouble, we don't sit here and tell God, oh, my God. Now we can look and have a reference to Abino Abraham, a blessed memory. Wow, we look what Abraham went through. What I'm going through is nothing, you know. So what if I had to go dump the toilet? You know, so what if I had to use a hose to do this or do that? So what if I had to walk a little bit? You know, a lot of times all this mama stuff that we just do, that it really is no, there's no, there's no essence to it. So in here is what we have to really understand, wow, what really persecution is. What really persecution is going to look like. So Isaiah 41 is talking about, again, the, the nation of Israel being out in the exile and the surrounding nations in here that they are now influenced by it and they are now being essentially oppressed by all these nations, you see. And in here in this parasha, it's reminding us of the one who came from the east. You see how beautiful. The, the story is just like honey. It's telling us right now, remember the one who came from the east. Look what I did for him. Oh, Israel, look at the example. Look to your forefather Abraham. Look at the things that I did for him. Look where he, look how blessed he was. Look what came out of the turmoil. This is the setting. This is the context for all the so, uh, four servant songs, by the way. 
all the way from here to Isaiah chapter 54. So let's conclude here with Isaiah 41, 5, 7. I want to I wanna, um, narrow it down on this. It says, the island shall see and fear, it says. The ends of the earth shall quake. They have approach and come, it says. Each one shall aid his fellow, and to his brother he shall say, strengthen yourself, it says. And the craftsman strengthen the smith. The one who smooths with the hammer strengthen it. The one who wields with the sledgehammer. He says of the cement, it is good. And he strengthen it with nails that it should not be essentially moved, it says in here. What's really happening here? This is a language in here that's somewhat poetic. Somewhat. If you, if you were living in those days, then this would perfectly make sense. But we're not living in those days, so we have no clue what's taking place. But in here in Isaiah chapter 41, it's talking about the island shall see and fear, and the ends of the earth shall quake. Now, you guys remember that when we ended the Pasha today, we ended with the, the promise that anyone who will come against Abraham, what will happen? I will certainly bless those who bless you. And the one who he who curses you, why is singular he? Because there's only one who will curse Abraham, and that is the spirit of what? Haman. This is Nimrod. This is anti-Semitism. There's only one. That's it. It's one spirit. Multiple groups who partake of that spirit, but it's still one. So it's one who's going to come against Abraham. That is what? The anti-Semitic spirit. So let's turn to Milstead edition to understand a little bit this passage that we're just discussing in here. It says, most commentators explain that despite Abraham's victory, the Canaanites did not draw the obvious lessons that their idols were powerless against God. Think of it. This is why it says in here in the parasha, it says, um, uh, it says the one who shall aid his fellow and the brother, he shall say, strengthen yourself. And the craftsman strengthened the smith. Okay, all this language is of the idol makers. Because remember, they will have to craft idols. You know, you need to shape them. You have to put it through the fire and you have to hammer it and do all this stuff. All this is connecting to idol worship, essentially. The fabrications of idols, essentially. So in here, Abraham, now where's the connection? Guys, remember that Abraham was making converts. See what I mean? This is to say when he left Haran, he left with what? With the souls that he met, that he made, essentially. This is what's really happening in here, you see. So Abraham, the spirit of Abraham, or Abraham as the person in here, is the one who is bringing the truth to these people, all these idols worshipers against. And what is the saying in here? That they were powerless against God. This is what Abraham is trying to tell him. Instead, they closed ranks and urged one another to strengthen their faith in their idols instead. Instead of coming out of idolatry, what they were doing is they were just getting more into idolatry instead. Hmm. You may be asking yourself, well, what does that have to do with today? Absolutely everything. Have you ever met a person that you come and tell them the truth, and then they turn around and use that truth that you've given them and mix it with a false worship? That's what's happening here. Abraham is coming to the nations, telling the nations the, the idols that you me are completely false, essentially. There's no essence to these things. Follow the one true God, the God you know, my God in this case. 
And what they're doing is instead of listening to what he's saying and, and, and heeding and, and repenting, what they're doing is they're now they're using his God, the God of Abraham in this case, and mixing it with their idol worship to strengthen themselves. Let me give you an example of this, folks. Okay. So many of us came out of a system of religion, right, where we celebrated certain things, right? I mean, we're coming into the season here soon, right? I mean, come on, in here, from chatati chatati, you know, from brother to brother, we're going to say this now, right? So here it is. We come from a season that, that it is the reason for the season, right? And, <laughs> and when we came to truth, right, when we came to the truth, what, what many did, not all, but what many did? Well, what we did is we blended it in. You know, um, I can tell you people right now that, you know, have taken, you know, the Feast of Sukkot and celebrated in a manner that's really, really paganized. I can tell you that right now. I know people who are taking the Feast of Passover and somewhat entwine Easter into it and so on and so forth. See, will you follow what I'm saying? So instead of really detaching from it, what you've done is just mix it and give strength and power to the false feast mixing what is true with the falseness this is what's happening in here see god is abraham is bringing truth to these people and instead of relinquishing the idols all they're doing is like oh wow yeah that god okay cool let me let me, let me bring that god down to our level now and strengthen ourselves with it it's basically the same thing that we did well i'm not saying we here particularly many people have done we came out of the system of religion now we're incorporating, okay, well, this is, we know that this is wrong, but we're going to add an essence to truth to it with the, with the feast of the Lord, and we're going to combine it. And I don't know if not many of you have seen this lately, where there's a combination. And a lot of, I saw a lot of this in years, to, you know, past years, you know, where, you know, again, not to get into details right now, but it, it was a mixture, unfortunately, because we didn't fully come out. And this is essentially what's happening here. So that's why it says, instead, they close ranks and urge one another to strengthen their faith in their idols and help one another to fashion new ones. What was the new ones? Well, the new ones is the concept of Abraham's God with the concept of the idols. If you put them together, now we have a new idol. See, is this making sense to you guys? You see what I mean? Hopefully it is. If not, hey, we'll talk later. But this is the idea. You know, it's mixing, mixing. You're creating something new. On the one hand, it says they drew close to Abraham. So they did do that. They drew close to Abraham. But they learned nothing from the miracles that they had witnessed. This is according to quote in here. The Mitch thing is, is quoting Radak, essentially. It says that they, they just didn't drew anything. They didn't know anything, unfortunately. They didn't, they didn't learn the lesson, unfortunately. And what we want to do is draw with a couple of scriptures in here as a reference so we can understand what is it that Abraham was dealing with the nations in here in, in Isaiah chapter 41. Let's go to Jeremiah 50 verse 2. In Jeremiah 50 verse 2, this is what it states. Declare and proclaim among the nations. Here we go. It's always about a declaration to the nations, right? Proclaim it and lift up a standard. What was Abraham doing? Lifting up a standard. Do not conceal it, but say Babylon has been captured. Okay. Bel has been put to shame. Marduk, which was one of the chief gods of Babylon, Marduk has been shattered, essentially. 
Her images have been put to what? To shame. Her idols have been what? Shattered all completely. Look, 2 Kings 18, 1 and 4 in the same concept in here. It says, Now it came about in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, now listen to this, folks. This is very, very important. And I really want you to understand. Because what remember, what we're talking about in Isaiah chapter 41 is about the mixture of what? What Abraham is bringing to a nation that's formulating idols and fashioning idols already. And he's coming from the east proclaiming the truth over the word of God. By the way, this is going to be, remember, keep in mind, this is going to be a motif throughout all the Tanakh. Very, very, very repetitious. You're going to see it all the time. And in here, what we find is this is exactly what, we, and I'm giving you examples in here, and there's plenty more for the sake of time. I'm just going to present these two. In the second king, something very amazing happens. I really want you to pay attention. I don't know if you ever read this or not. Hezekiah was known as one of the best kings, as a matter of fact, in the nation of Israel. Actually, who said that? God himself said it. God said that there will never be another king like Zechariah, Hezekiah, believe it or not. Not even David had that, that statement. You see what I mean? So Hezekiah was really, really a, 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 a sadiq, a very, very amazing sadiq. So it says that the, uh, Hezekiah, I'm sorry, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zachariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord. It says that Zach, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Hezekiah did great in the eyes of the Lord, in the sight of the Lord. According to all that his father David had done, he followed. And actually, he took that to a whole different level. Let's put it that way. That's why he was known as the one of the best Sadiq and one of the best mal, mal, uh, mal, uh, king in Israel. But look, what, what is it that made him so great? What is it that made Hezekiah so great as a king? He didn't waver. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit something to you today, folks. He didn't waver. When a Sadiq doesn't waver, a Sadiq stands to lose something very, very great. But when we stand in Emunah, when we stand in truth, and we follow what God says at the end of the day, he is very, very extremely faithful to compensate us. And I want to take us to verse 4 so we can see this. It says that he removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars, okay? And he cut down the astra trees, by the way. The astra trees is much of, we're not going to get into that today, but this much of the astra trees, we're coming into the season, Okay? Hezekiah broke him down. He also broke, and now listen to this. It says he also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Now, you guys remember in the wilderness that Moses, well, we're not there yet, but it's not like this is our first cycle in the Torah, right? You guys remember that Moses made a serpent, a bronze serpent. Why? Because the people would, what, just complaining and whining. And they were being bitten by serpents, right? What did, what did the, you know, the Hakados Baruch tell Moshe? He says, go ahead and build this, this serpent and put him in a pole, right? He says that anybody who looks at the serpent will be healed. The, you know, please hear me when I'm saying this. Because if this doesn't hit home run, I don't know what will. The serpent in the pole 
was supposed to essentially heal the people. That was the purpose why he created it, right? It says, For into those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and they called the serpent Nehushta in Hebrew. What happened is that the serpent on the pole that was supposed to heal the people, that, you know, the Hakadosh Baruch Hu himself was the one that told them, build the serpent, make the serpent of bronze, and put it on the pole, right? What did the people do? They deify it. I don't know if you're getting this. The serpent on the pole that was supposed to heal, the people made it into a god. And how did God see this? Complete idolatry. To the point that Hezekiah just destroyed it. See? This serpent that was on the, the bronze serpent that was, of course, on the pole in here, which we can call a tree. You can call all kinds of names to it. The people of Israel deify it, folks. I will submit to you that we're having the same problem today. See? So easy for man to deify things. You know what I mean? So easy. And by the way, what was so wrong about the serpent on the pole? It actually was supposed to be good. The contrary, God said it's a good thing. But by the time we reach Second Kings, all of a sudden it's just not such a good thing anymore. <laughs> now this is a problem because now it's co-equal with God. Hmm. So here in Second Kings is a perfect example of this parasha and what the, the message that I'm trying to convey to you today. Abraham comes from the east in this parasha in Isaiah chapter 41 and the servant songs. Because the nations are immersed in idolatry. He comes and he brings goodness to the people of Israel. Or to the nations in this case. In, in, in the parasha. And what the nations do is that they strengthen themselves with their idols according to the things that Abraham is bringing them. This is no different than what we witness in here in Second Kings. What Rabino Moshe, a blessed memory, a rabbi of blessed memory brought to the people that was supposed to be for good. The people turned around and they use it for what? For idolatry. See, we follow this. This is really, really common theme, and you're going to find, again, another motif that you're going to find throughout the Scripture. God brings good. The people turn around, deify it, make a God out of it, you know. So the lesson that I want to draw, I'm going to conclude with this here for today. It's the time in the season that we live in right now, folks. It is time for us to break down the sacred pillars in our lives. It is time for us to cut down the asteroids in our lives. But most importantly, oh, this is going to hurt. It is time for us to stop deifying the serpent on the pole that was meant for healing out of our lives. To cross over into true worship of the God of Israel. You know, folks, if it wasn't good enough for God to hear in this story of Second Kings, what the greatest king of Israel, Hezekiah, what makes you think that he's going to exempt us today? From doing what, the, what we do, what we've been doing all our lives, essentially. You follow. As a matter of fact, this serp, this pole, this serpent in the pole is mentioned in the New Testament, and we all know who he addresses in here. Right. 
This is the key that we need to awaken our eyes. Take out the, the filters out. There couldn't be a more clear scripture in here for this, right here, in my opinion. Stop deifying. Because in here, there's a man who says that he is that serpent on the pole. As Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the pole in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. They deify him in the wilderness. I'm getting this. I'm going to be frank and honest with you here today. This is a problem for the God of Israel. See? I don't think I'm reading into the text. It's very clear. As a matter of fact, I'm using the analogy that the book of John is using, by the way. <laughs> Just going with that train of thought right there. If the, if the serpent represents the Messiah in this case, that's what he said. I'm not making it up. They deify the Messiah in the wilderness, <laughs> essentially. We go with that train of thought. You know, in the fulfillment in John, we see it. Okay, well, here it is. Here's the problem, you see? So, folks, you know, a lot of times, again, God is giving us these things so we can open our eyes to see and understand so that we may not commit the same thing. This is a season to get rid of the, the serpent, bring him down from the deification that we brought him into, unfortunately. It's time to get rid of the ashtray. It's time to get rid of all this nonsense. Get rid of all of that. All of it. Come to the Lord God of Israel with a pure heart. And then remember that the blessings for Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, 5 were contingent upon that Abraham was faithful to his God. You follow? And that Abraham will follow a lech lecha. By the way, lech lecha means you detach him from everything. You have not committed a lech lecha if you're still holding on to any of these principles right here. If you're still holding on to any of this right here, unfortunately, you have not really done a lech lecha. You're thinking about it, maybe. You're contemplating in it, but you really haven't done it. A true lech lecha means I'm letting everything go. Remember, Hershumas helped us with that. Holech, literally, to separate and detach from everything that you know. How much more clear does it get? Come new to the God of Israel. Amen. May his, may his name be blessed for your generations and generation and generation now. That's our message for today. Hallelujah. Thank you, guys. So let's just remember that tomorrow at 11 o'clock, we're going to have our first teaching. Okay? And um, so I've been working really hard to get this for you guys a lot earlier than anticipated. Um, but, you know, I feel that it needs to be done. So we'll go ahead and we'll do it. You know, uh, we'll, we'll start with this first class, and I just kind of want to give you a projection, what to, what's, what's to, what to look for in this case. Depending on how this class goes tomorrow, how long it takes, I, I really don't know how long it's going to take. Uh, I want to try to keep us in here about an hour and a half, of, you know, two at the most. So we want to leave some room for questions, so maybe an hour and a half. We'll see how far we get. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through all the prophecies in the New Testament. Now, that's the goal, okay? Go through all the prophecies in the New Testament. And I am hope you're excited about this because this is, this is a good thing. We hopefully, we're going to see and uncover. And, again, nothing to hide in here. We just want to see really what all these prophecies are talking about and where, you know, where do we find them. Um, so that we, this hopefully is going to help you with your faith. Now, please understand that my sole intent and purpose is not to persuade you to go left or right. 
ultimately, like I said, <laughs> just like Abraham, lech lecha is something that you do for yourself. You know, I can't hold your hand on this one, you know. But you, you're going to have to look at it and see, wow, you know, either nay or yay for you. And ultimately, whatever you decide, like I said, as we go through this, you know, understand that, uh, you know, for us in here, you, you know, this, this will still always be a home for you. As long as you're not turning around and trying to persuade people differently, then you respect and it's not a problem. You know, this will always be a home for you. So please do understand that this is something that it's for your knowledge. And why I'm sharing it, by the way, I'm sharing this once and I'm going to file it, meaning I'm putting it in and that's it. We're not going to talk about it no more. There's really no need to talk about it after we share it because, like I said, we're not an anti-missionary ministry. Our ministry is just a Torah-observing community, and we teach Musar, and this is what we want to be focusing on, character building, so you can have deliverance in the God of Israel. You understand me? This is the focus of what we do here. We're just presenting this now because, well, uh, I don't know why, right? Well, everybody wants to know. Well, let's share. We're going to see why we're making, why we're taking the direction that we're taking. Um and kind of go from there. Amen. So be ready for tomorrow, 11 o'clock. We'll come, we'll come in here. We'll have some, we'll have some uh, good time with it. We'll open for a discussion, questions, and then afterwards we'll, we'll dismiss so we can enjoy the rest of Sunday and do the chores that we need to do. Amen. All right, family. So we're going to go ahead and dismiss. Let us stand. We confer, can we do the uh, Aaronic blessing? And this is the blessing that Hashem told Moses that when you are to bless my beloved people Israel, you are to bless them with my name. Hallelujah. And the name really carries the connotation in here of essentially becoming more like him every day. And that's the idea. We were supposed to resemble the mighty one of Israel. Hallelujah. So he said, when you are to bless my beloved people, Israel, you are to bless them in this way. <laughs> you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May the name of the Lord be upon you forever. Amen. Amen and amen and Shavuot to everybody. Next week we start with Parashat Vayera and we hope to see everybody tomorrow. Lord bless you and keep you. Amen.